You can't Faraday cage this beast. Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. Let's get stuck into it. We're back for another week, boy. Yeah, we are. Here it's we been are. A while. We've had a little high A tuss. We've got a special guest this week. We do. Childhood friend of the show, Josh. How are we doing, Josh? G'day, cunts. How's it going? Hello, oh! Josh. Is this a sweary show? It's our first g'day of the podcast. This is, this is oh, so <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I didn't realize you were out of touch with the working man. Yeah, this is the first good day this podcast ever had. Also, yeah, sweary little heart. We speak off, the man. Queen's English on this podcast, you oh, son of a bitch. Oh, sorry. Uh, you don't know this because it usually happens behind closed doors, but the Queen says cunt a lot, so <laughs> absolutely <laughs> rattle off. I love um, a queen in the streets, a cunt in the sheets. It's going to get us kicked out of the Commonwealth. <laughs> That's my QE2. Um, well, welcome aboard, Josh. Hello, it's good to be on this beef station. That's Fuck right, yeah. on this space station. Us little space fuckers. Josh is... When you nut, you shoot backwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Josh is a little of the beef station trivia for you. Josh is the uh, friend of mine who I bounced ideas off for the show originally, who said you absolutely have to call it beef station. Oh, yeah. Um, oh. The origin of this nonsense is arguably, all you, boy. The, arguably the one responsible for this fucking mess. <laughs> <laughs> so when you get called before a grand jury in 15 years, you'll have this to turn to. <laughs> I stand by it. Yeah. I stand by <laughs> I stand by your review of Deadpool 2 or whatever it was. <laughs> um, so we're going to, uh, this week, do a movie review from the old shelf. We're going to mm. go and do a review of There Will Be Blood. You've all had... More than enough notice if you give a fuck about spoilers. Um, I feel like maybe we'll, we'll try and give a bit of a spoiler-free review first, and we can launch into some late late game spoilers. If there's anyone out there some who end game spoilers, end game spoilers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll tell you whether or not Spider Man's dead, and yeah. then after that, we'll uh, spoil a bit of There'll Be Blood. But before we kick onto that, we'll do a little bit of pre-game warm-up. Fuck yeah! Have you ever played sport? <laughs> 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 we'll we'll grab our muscles and we'll give him a good old tug. Interesting. Oh. I feel like he's avoiding answering the question. <laughs> I know you've been in a lot of public showers, but I don't think you've ever played sport. Oh. Very good. Whenever I play sport, I bring my own olive oil. Is that what you're supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're you're nationally ranked in the Turkish Barbs <laughs> Championship. <laughs> It makes oh, you slippery. When you get out onto the pitch, they can't grab you. So slippery. <laughs> yeah. Should we launch into a bit of news just to start off the show? Yeah, let's fucking right. do it. Ching chicka ching chicka ching 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 Now, every time someone witnesses that, it's distressing to me, but yes. Beef bullet. Welcome aboard, Josh. If I wasn't in space, I'd try and get away. Or scream, but no one can hear me scream in space. Yeah. This uh, Wonder Woman sequel is being teased uh, with a new poster that came out. I only mention this because I think the poster looks fucking great. So I figured we'd discover it, discuss it on an audio medium. Mm. Um, how's that look? Yeah, it looks pretty good. looks fucking great. Hey, looks they're going for like a 1984 theme. There was another poster they've announced after this one. This one's like Wonder Woman standing in this sort of psychedelic sea of color. Um, I'm pretty sure they're W's. And they're all shapes. W's. Yeah. Yeah. Oh! Uh, there's another one they had recently where it was kind of, it had that sort of soft lens kind of look of an old ass camera. 
it's just a photo of her. Oh, yeah. Look really cool. Um, what's your What's your read on the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Josh? What do you think on the Marvel? And what Cinematic about the, What universe? about the, And after you finish discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe, talk about DC, which is what one. Okay, one is. Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> Great. <laughs> we'll we'll be idiot. even better now that Stanley is dead <laughs> <Yeah>. and stops <laughs> showing up in every fucking movie. No, I, wa- I want to no, know what the UPS guy thinks about every movie. <laughs> they recorded his cameos for the next eighty fucking years, oh. mate. Yeah. Oh. Come they, on! They've how, actually done a bank of them. How many, how many fucking bus drivers are there in the MCU <laughs> that are ninety years old? Clearly, clearly, only one. Bus yeah. drivers are like um, fucking Bordeaux owners. <laughs> yeah, <a> whoremongering, <laughs> mustachioed <laughs> Bronxites. Uh, yeah. So uh, I name dropping my other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the first Wonder Woman was just fine. Yeah, uh, this I'm new one I'm mostly interested in because of this '80s aesthetic. What do you reckon about this new like '80s revival that's happening at the moment? I hate it. Yeah, yeah. I, f- I fucking hate. I ha- I hate nostalgia. I think that <laughs> like it's Stranger Things. I hate well, Stranger Things. I think uh, it's, it's probably just because all the fucking Hollywood ass writers that are now of age. That's exactly. It. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in ten years we're gonna get a '90s nostalgia. I look forward to what naughty the nostalgia '90s nostalgia has started yeah. with the fucking Chucky reboot. Like two years ago, a live action Daria teaser came out and whatever. Yeah, I suppose I I, seeing that. I suppose yeah, Captain yeah, Marvel fuck. was a bit of 90s nostalgia as well. That was a lot of like, you guys remember Nevermind? Yeah. yeah. How could Nevermind? The thing is, like, I, I when feel Stefani's like, back. And I feel like our generation, because like. You wash born, your mouth out with soap. I will not hear a bad <laughs> word against my hollerback well, girl. Yeah. Too flat. Your tummy's <laughs> too flat, Gwen. <laughs> Have a chili cheese dog and you'll feel much better. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to reverse body shame, <laughs> <Yeah>. Gwen Stefani. <laughs> She's you, too hot. I love you, Gwen Stefani. You're <laughs> you're a really good songwriter. Yep. Um, and I think you're still 21 years old. Yeah, that checks yep. out. Yep. Is that Definitely. all we have on on the new Wonder Woman movie? Oh, I thought you were going to say is that is that all we've got for news? We haven't <laughs> talked about. I, I've exclusively sidetracked you from talking about the Wonder Woman poster. No, that's good. Yeah. That's just like we planned. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> Keep going. I like Wonder Woman. Great. I think sh- I think the f- the first the first two acts of the first Wonder Woman Wonder Woman movie were amazing. I really like that. I mean, I don't because it's corporate capitalism but i really like the fact that there's a very good female director who is really drawing the attention away from the male gaze yep i think that's really good to watch a character who wears a corset and a miniskirt not be sexualized (laughs) i think that's really enjoyable um and i really shows that miracles are possible And Mm. and she did shoot she did fucking reshoots while she was pregnant, so that's pretty incredible. Yeah, that is. I'm excited yeah. to see what happens. If nothing else, it will look better than any other DC movie because the DC movies look like garbage. Mm. Yeah, all I, of them. You mean like literally, like cinematically, they look like garbage? None of like none like of the color grading. Sh- the color grading is awful. All of the like, even post Zack Schneider, all the action is blurry. All the effects are like sort of half baked and thrown on at the last minute, and that's like obviously effects artists are overworked and underpaid and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But like, when you've got David Ayer and but Zach if that's happening anyway, fucking get your shit together. <laughs> <Get> your sh- <laughs> Come on, guys. What yeah. do you reckon about the new uh, Robert Pattinson being the new Batman? They haven't announced anything about the movie, but I reckon this seems to have been a bit of a pattern of like. Um, Going all the way back to uh, what the fuck his name was? Who was the original? No, the eighties. Bat- yeah, Michael Keaton. When oh, people yeah. like really Beetlejuice is Batman now, and then uh, when Heath Ledger was cast as the Joker, that was a bit of like a really Heath Ledger as the Joker. And from so I think the that, like Knight's Tale from a Knight's mm. Tale. Um, and so I think that 
the fact that this like Robert Pattinson thing is like really for the, the Twilight guy is Batman now. I think it's a good sign. It's a good omen. I mean, he's got the chin for it. <laughs> I think if the, I think if you cast Batman exclusively from the chin yeah, out, because you just need to, yeah, it's only yeah. that much of his face that you, yeah, yeah, very good point. He he'll do fine. I mean, Christian Bale before he was Batman, who was he? He was like a the Machinist. Was that before Batman? Yeah, like he had really. He was weird, he was, not really mainstream roles before that. Like he was, he was everyone's favorite magician. He was a from child the actor. F- fucking prestige. But prestige wasn't mainstream. Prestige like no one's pres- prestige is probably Christopher Nolan's lowest grossing movie. Mm. <laughs> um, how's this for another headline? You ready? Oh, wait, well, one sec. Hot take. Um, I think that before the movie comes out, no one should make speculations on like casting decisions because I think no one fucking knows whether or not like I would have pigeonholed Ryan Gosling as like someone who couldn't really act, and then he just comes out with like consistently great performance after mm. consistently great performance. Well, we were I rewatching the Big Short the other day. Ryan Gosling is so fucking yeah, funny. he's fucking funny, and he's I'm yeah. keen so to watch funny. the other guys. The nice. Well. What about the nice, nice guys? guys? Are you keen to watch that as well? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Imagine! Imagine! <laughs> oh, that's the wrong title, you fucking idiot! Will Farrell was actually played by Ryan Gosling, so... <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. That's how funny he is. What a movie to fuck he it can, up with, he yeah. can, He's so funny, he can play a less funny actor really well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think, like, who fucking knows whether or not it's going to be a good performance or not before it yeah, comes out? Knows. No even, one knows. Shut up. Even Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, people are like... Who? Yeah. Like, she's... Hot and was in the IDF. Like we don't, <laughs> yeah. we don't really want to touch that. And then she was really now that good we've as Wonder Woman. Off the mandatory criteria for acting in Hollywood. How's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, this for another one? Sony Pictures uh, has announced that the Uncharted movie will come out in winter 2020, starring who as Nathan Drake? Uh, Holland, Tom Holland. Nathan. Tom Holland. Oh, really? Is Nathan Drake in the new Uncharted film? Now, side by side, you just flicked a quickly a side by side picture. That's actually not that bad. Like it looks like it looks like it should be way more off than it is. I also think honest. he was. I mean, he's yeah. a lot younger than Nathan. Nathan yeah, Drake seems like he's young. about thirty. Yeah. Tom Holland looks like he's about seventeen. Nathan Drake has a five o'clock shadow that I don't know if Tom Holland can get. That's yeah. the only thing that yeah. I don't want Tom Holland to get. That he's he's, <laughs> no, a, he's right. everyone's favorite Spider Twink. So. I think he's I think he's very good in the new Spider Man. He's great as Spider Man. Yeah, oh, his his accent work is flawless. In it's really good. I think that oh, so, so, uh, of course Uncharted uh, for those that don't know is an Indiana Jonesy kind of Tomb Raider-y kind of PlayStation oh, game. Yeah, not everyone plays video games. <laughs> I always fucking forget that. Um, uh, they're very cinematic as video games. I'm always apprehensive of yeah. video game adaptations into movies, if yes. only because, like, well, Uncharted is really just a poor man's Indiana Jones. And Tomb Raider didn't work last year. No, like exactly. a Tomb Raider movie came out last year, and it was a big old flop, and it had star power behind it. Yep. Yeah, and I thought casting Tom <laughs> Tom Holland as uh, the Tomb Raider in that was a weird move. It was really <laughs> was really weird, but. Keeping the outfit the same as the uh, the original Lara Croft <laughs> is a good decision. I mean, he's a great A twink. <laughs> yeah. That's why they call him Tom Crop Top Holland. <laughs> uh, um, on that, yep. uh, and I don't know if this was going to be a headline that, that you had up your little butt there, but um, <laughs> on the topic of video game movies with star power behind them, at E3, the Electronic Entertainment Ecstasy recently. Good one. Uh, Gamers rise you. up. Fuck yeah. <laughs> um they announced that a movie is being made out of the popular video game franchise, The Division. It's like a post-apocalyptic game for anyone who knows the name Tom Clancy. Yeah. That makes sense. 
It's, yeah, about, it's about time Tom Clancy got a break. Right, yeah. <laughs> After he's dead. After he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> After his 20 movies and 20 <laughs> video games. Yeah, dying on a mountain of military money. <laughs> um, so, yeah, The Division takes place in, like, a, a post-apocalyptic city that's, like, there's civil unrest. I think there's some form of infection, but it's not really a zombie game, so I don't really... I haven't played it. But um, <laughs> the movie a- has cast Jessica Chastain and Jake Gyllenhaal. I fucking so love Jessica Chastain. Those are two Chastain. fucking huge names. This Whoa. this is probably going to be Prince of Persia level Jake Gyllenhaal shit. I forgot Jake Gyllenhaal's already in a right? video yeah. game movie. <laughs> yeah, like I, I that just occurred to me in that sentence, and I think What's now I think it's bad. Prince, he was in the Prince of Persia movie. Oh yeah, Jerry, Jerry Bruckheimer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's uh, already a mark against this film's record, <laughs> but it's coming to Netflix at some fucking point. But I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal is coming off the back of like six amazing performances yeah. in a row. It's it probably won't six be Oscar snubs in a row. Yeah, it won't honest. be his performance that lets it down. It'll mm. be the writing. Yeah, like oh it's for always sure. The fucking writing. How do you translate a video game which is hundreds of hours? Yeah, well, that's of, the other thing. Gameplay narrative through gameplay exclusively. How do you turn that into a ninety-page script? And yeah. also, a lot of the fact that the, a lot of the reason why it's appealing, sort of touching on what I was saying before about Uncharted sort of just being like the video game version of Indiana Jones Mm. is that like I think a lot of its appeal is the interactivity and if you just if I was just watching the story of Uncharted I don't think that that's inherently appealing and and I I I kind of agree it's there's some interesting like set pieces that you play through but it's interesting because you're I agree you're playing through them I don't think the most popular most profitable video games that have stories in them yep are the best video games to be adapted into movies. Yeah. Because I think often they're popular because of their interactivity, not because of their amazing story. I, and like they have good yeah. stories, but they wouldn't be that good if you were just watching them. You have to sort of be involved with them. The first video games turned into movies were the video games without good stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And they didn't turn out so hot either. But like, so Halo has a fucking amazing universe created around it and they're not games that... I think they're games that people will think are great for the setting. The story yeah. is actually really interesting, but the world that's built is the, the really interesting part. And I would argue that the world of Uncharted and the world of especially The Division are not interesting at all. I agree. Division, yeah, I, exactly. I think that Division like, is garbage for it's in Tom, terms of its, it's setting. It's Tom Clancy. I right. Tom Clancy shit. Yeah. Where it's it's like, going to be fucking bad. If you don't get a boner because the, the favorite gun you picture when you go to sleep is in the movie, then yeah. you're not going to enjoy it because you love seeing numbers come out of your screen. Exactly. And back like, in a few minutes, guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, if it, it's yeah, it's going to appeal to people who where like Jake Gyllenhaal talks about the model of rifle that he's yeah. using, and if it's not that type of shit, yeah, I think no if, one's. Yeah, if yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't say the word insurgent <laughs> <laughs> once yeah. every two minutes, people's yeah. li- dicks are going to be so limp. He's not like talking on an earwig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So m- maybe the maybe the idea is, and it's not something we've seen a lot of, is just that you need to have a video video game movie should be adapting an appealing world. Into a good movie. I agree. Like, for example, I think that the Portal world would be interesting if you had the right kind of tone of movie set in the Portal world. Or, like, mm. the uh, Half-Life, just to pick another like, related Half-Life example. Life Half-Life would be a good movie. But the stories me, of Portal and Half-Life themselves, recreated in movies, would be completely uninteresting. Well, that I would... I'm sure you guys have already talked yeah. about Detective Pikachu, but Detective yeah. Pikachu was an adaptation of a world and not an adaptation of a story. That's a really right? good example, right. So it's the idea that creating a new story in a familiar world and using that as like a jumping off point is 
perhaps what they're after in terms of like using an adaptation as a shortcut to a successful movie well, rather people, than just like recreating the beat for beat story of a movie. I think, I oh, mean, I'm thinking back to it now and the video game movies that I've enjoyed the most have been the movies that adopt the language of video games, but not necessarily the stories of the characters like Scott Pilgrim and oh, right. even Hardcore Henry. Which was like a nightmare to watch, but fucking the coolest Fuck, shit. Fuck, have you heard of that movie? No. It's a movie that's entirely oh. shot through POV yes, GoPros. Yes, yes, I have, yep. It'll, it it will make cool. you sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Like, uh, I've never gotten motion sick before, but that'll be the thing to do it. Yeah. But it's telling... It, yeah, they tell the story with the language of video games, but not necessarily... We need to play fan service, or we need to, yep. you know, have be locked into characters and settings and stories that people will expect from a fucking Tomb Raider game right. or whatever. But it's like, let's show things from a video game's perspective. Let's use sound effects. Let's use combat to tell a narrative and all that sort of stuff. So, And in, in Scott Pilgrim, it was played a fair bit for gags as well. Like, yeah. uh, you know, killing someone and having them like turn into coins. It's like, that's pretty funny. Mm. I um, think that's a video game. I think that's a movie that has video game themes. I wouldn't say that Scott Pilgrim is a video game movie. No, but that's... No, yeah. it's not, but Speaking it's... Speaking of the language of video games. Yes, it's... Yeah, what Josh was talking yeah. about. Yeah. I think if you do want to make a video game movie based on an IP that is a video game, you would have to do the opposite of that and spend less time focusing on the fact that it's a video game or that it needs to have these... Nathan Drake needs to, you know, climb a bunch of yellow things and get into fights with brown people that you need to spend a lot more time being like, okay... Let's get the aesthetics right and not worry about shoehorning in backstory and mm. all the all the golden goblets he finds in caves and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Which, like, who, yeah, it's going to be like National Treasure in that case, right? Where he's like yeah. kind of chasing a, a some ancient artifact or whatever. like. Which is a cool movie, yep. no matter who's in it. Right. Uh, uh, and, and the setting yeah. is almost irrelevant. I, I do feel a bit like... Um, well, the, sorry, the setting's not irrelevant. It's extremely irrelevant. The fact that the setting was once a video game is almost... Yeah, irrelevant. Yeah, I yeah. I feel like yeah, don't I mean don't make a video game movie. Yeah. But also <laughs> yeah, if yep. if you are <laughs> like there still hasn't really been a good video game movie. I was just about to say it feels a bit like a white whale, right? Like yeah. they they really want this like they just want to get it right. And every time there have been they cut so many corners of fucking Remember up. remember Three years ago, when Assassin's Creed came out, the trailer people were like, "Fuck, it's a Kanye song in Assassin's Creed, and the action looks dope." And then you watch it, and it's. Um, I didn't know. She's, did you see that movie? I didn't. see I it. did. It's an hour. Oh, of, it's an hour of expo- exposition and talking about what Abstergo is, and like, <laughs> right. of, obviously, Abstergo is my favorite part of the Assassin's Creed game. I, know. I can't wait. When I'm like walking through Renaissance Italy, I'm like, "Fuck, when will this end so I can get back to the warehouse and find out what's <laughs> happening with the Animus?" Exactly. Yep. But you've also spent three hundred <laughs> hours learning about what Abstergo is and they have to explain what Abstergo is and the Templars and the Assassins and how they all relate to each other. I, th- I don't think minutes. you do. I think that you could they- very easily just like have a weird sci-fi thing where someone sits in... The- I, th- I think you could do it in five minutes. I think no one cares. Well, you can't with Assassin's Creed because Assassin's Creed is a game within a game. <laughs> yeah. And you can't have a game within a game without exposition. <laughs> yeah. You need yeah. to explain to people like why... Why your why an ancestor is running around doing this shit? Tell you what, fellas, I think I could do it. Video game logic, <laughs> video game logic, and movie logic, like they're very, very different. Yeah. Like you just sort of take that shit with a video game where you're like, oh yeah, ancestor, your memories live inside your blood. But when you're watching Michael Fassbender say it, you're like, no, they don't. Yeah, that's dumb, Michael Fassbender. <laughs> yeah, and actually, Fassbender, Marion Cotillard, 
uh, Jeremy Irons, Jeremy Irons, Brendan Gleeson, Charlotte Ramping. Like that that Assassin's Creed movie had a fucking all star cast and was yeah. garbage. Right? Had three Oscars between the leads. Jesus, yeah. I got a couple of headlines here for you, boys. <laughs> How's this for one? Magic 8-Ball movie is being rolled out by Blumhouse. <laughs> rolled out. Mattel is getting serious yeah. about the movie business with adaptations of its iconic toy lines for Barbie, Hot Wheels, Masters of the Universe, and more. Didn't apparently, Mattel to- uh, Transformers? Yes. Apparently, also being worked on is a Magic 8-Ball horror movie, reading straight from Slash Film here, where the fortune-telling device will be getting its own feature film adaptation. Fuck yeah. What do you reckon about an, a Magic 8-Ball horror movie? Have adaptations gone too far? Well, Mattel, Mattel or was it Parker Brothers were involved in the Ouija board movie <laughs> because they own the rights to when Ouija boards. When do we get the Monopoly Fucking movie? Hell. There is a Monopoly movie. It's called uh, Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. As fans of Mattel and their iconic brands, we're looking forward to bringing Magic 8-Ball, one of their most celebrated toys, to life. God damn. Is that going to be Jason like they Bloom. shake the 8-Ball and it says, like, you're fucked? Because yeah. <laughs> like, if it's that... If it's that level of bad, or if it's like Cabin in the Woods, like self-irony, that would be fucking great. I think it's going to be a little bit more of column A and less of column yeah. B. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't think Mattel would go for irony. I think they're probably <laughs> yeah, using this right. to sell eight balls. Right. <laughs> fucking hell. We've, it's come to the stage of like, like capitalism where they're, they're <laughs> making expensive products that they expect to make a profit off in order to sell cheap products that they expect to make a profit off, which yeah. is what Transformers was, but at least it felt like there was some love behind that IP. Let's like, spend... Who yeah. gives a fuck about the magic fucking $200 million ball? to make a movie that is essentially an ad for a product that costs yeah. $8. Yeah, fuck. Here's another one. Bo Burnham has been announced as writing some songs for an upcoming Sesame Street movie, Sorry. which is coming out in January of 2021. Do you mean Bob Earnham? Sorry, Bob <laughs> Earnham. I'll take that Thank again. You. <laughs> uh, Bob Earnham, of course, a stand-up comedian, writer of Eighth Grade. Got famous doing funny songs on YouTube. I think that's a good fit. Did you see yeah. Eighth Grade? Josh? I didn't see Eighth Grade. I think okay. it was very good. It was very sincere. It wasn't like a Bob Burnham bleh, dick jokes kind of movie. Yeah, mm. it wasn't. It wasn't that uh, level of caustic cynicism that is Bob Burnham. <laughs> no, <laughs> I think it was very good. Um, Nor was it the musical was, focus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've heard it's good. I bet it's good. I think it was good. And in the same way as I think that Brett McKenzie was very good doing the songs for the Muppets movie mm. a few years ago. I think the Bre- Brett McKenzie, of course, from Flight of the Concords. I think that Bo Burnham's a good fit here. And I, I think mean, a good songwriter's a good songwriter. When yeah. fucking Elton John won an Oscar for The Lion King, people were like, oh, anything's possible. And then Eminem <laughs> went on to win an Oscar. So who really cares about songs <laughs> Did Eminem win an Oscar? Yeah. For Eight Mile? For, yeah, Lose Yourself, best original oh, song. Jeez. Jesus Christ. Lose Yourself is a very good song. I mean, yeah, to be fair, like... He didn't go to the ceremony. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, That's my boy. Because <laughs> there wasn't enough Vicodin there yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I was going to say Oxy. <laughs> uh, yeah. a s- small headline here. Have you heard about this big... You can like, pitch Le- to Zoom. <laughs> Have you heard about this Big Lebowski sequel that's happening? But it's a, like an unofficial Big Lebowski sequel that the guy that plays... Yeah. John Turturro that plays Jesus in the Big Lebowski oh. is doing his own self-directed, self-produced Big Lebowski sequel that focuses on his character, Jesus Quintana, from, uh, from the original film. It's really stra- It's a really strange series of events, and um, apparently, it's coming out actually very, very soon. Right, I well, like that explains why I've heard so much about it. I bet Totoro can pull it off. Yeah, I yeah, just, he's, he's, he's great. great. The is character's he, great. Is he from other stuff as well? Yeah, he's been in a fair <laughs> yeah, bit of shit. 
Yeah, he's pretty Or did good. he just do Big Lebowski and just fall <laughs> off the map yeah, completely? Yeah, that's it. Um, <laughs> Coen Brothers said you'll never work again. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, he was... Okay, not the biggest credit to his career, but he was in the Transformers movies and he did have a, fa- a fairly convincing performance. He's great. Right. He's, a, yeah. he's a very, very good character actor. Yeah. I bet, like... I don't know what he's like as a director. I'm sure he'll be able to pull it off. He mm. Like, that character is definitely the character where I was like, hang on, why are we still following <laughs> the Lebowski yeah. around? Yeah. Didn't we just meet a Get much Jeff more interesting... Bridges off the fucking screen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Didn't we just see a guy who's way cooler than you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got a, uh, a couple of headlines here, and then I got a, a headline we can finish on that ties in with our beefness or pleasure for this week. Mm. Adam Sandler's new film, Murder Mystery, which is apparently an Agatha Christie esque. What's that about? He's <laughs> like, call it fucking. The titles do you win? Just call it the genre it is. <laughs> A toy story. Oh, yeah. you fuck. Oh, Good yeah. one. Um, Adam Sandler's new murder mystery movie called Murder Mystery, uh, which is an Agatha Christie esque film about murder. And it's kind of a mystery movie. Um, has set a record on Netflix. In three days after it came out, it was viewed. Almost 31 million times. That's every Adam Sandler movie. Like, his Netflix deals have been so lucrative because people still love Adam Sandler. Ridiculous. Like, just fucking hardcore normies who were born in the 80s love Adam Sandler. They're like, I don't care how racist it is. (laughs) I don't care how many characters he plays in it. I want to see Adam Sandler... Just yelling (laughs) nonsensical words at the screen again. Yelling insults at side characters and having sex with someone hotter than him. Hell yeah. That's all I want to see. 20 to 30 years younger. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm surprised that this new movie wasn't filmed in like the Bahamas or some shit because that's (laughs) mostly where you film. Do you know that it wasn't? No, I don't. Yeah. But I'm also not going to do it the dignity of looking it up. (laughs) Like the last... Netflix movie that was like in the headlines for records was well bright but before that it was like the Mysterious Six or whatever his movie was where he yeah. played, where he the ridiculous w- six the really racist one and then the one before that was like him and Kevin James oh, just doing shit. shit together his Netflix special is like hugely popular people say it's good I don't think so but no he's got that song where he sings about Chris Farley <laughs> he's got though. that song where he sings about you, that, uh, that dead cunt who wasn't what, funny what are you either. pro death <laughs> I didn't realise yeah, no, just anti-life. <laughs> um, I didn't realize, but I saw a GIF on Twitter of uh, one of the worst performances by an extra that I've ever seen in a film, um, and it was from Murder Mystery. I Fuck yeah! I'll try and find it in the in the meantime. It'll you guys fill time while I while right. I find this visual well, um, gag for our fucking podcast. <laughs> well, the last headline here I think ties in quite nicely into our beefness or pleasure segment, so I might introduce that now. Uh, beefness or pleasure, of course, the segment where. Uh, Every week on the show, we have some very serious beefness. This week, our beefness is There Will Be Blood, which we've all watched and we've prepared extensive notes and reports on. But in the meantime, we all... I don't know about you guys, but I had a bit of time to myself this week. Oh, no. In between... Oh, no. <laughs> in, in between uh, waxing lyrical about my own podcast and, you know, just uh, <laughs> staring into the middle distance romantically while I listened to episode 47 of Beef Station, I had a bit of time to myself. So you discovered your body with a hand mirror. <laughs> a, little bit of me- <laughs> a little bit of me time. Uh, and so I watched some stuff that you guys might not have watched this week that I'm happy to tell you about. Excellent. Andrew- Andrew, I don't know if you watched everything that I watched this week, but I had a little bit of, little bit of pleasurable time to myself. Tell little, us about it. A little bit of Big Tig's time. Stop teasing um, me. I'm already hard. Ties in quite nicely to the last headline I've got here in the news. If you, uh, yeah, if you keep going, I'm finna not. <laughs> Phoebe Waller-Bridge, uh, affiliated with Bond 25. She did an interview recently. Of course, we reported on this a few weeks ago. Uh, she did an interview recently with Deadline, where she was saying 
and kind of talking about the Bond franchise's depiction of women, and she said, like, uh, I've heard a lot about how Bond isn't maybe relevant now because of the way he treats women. She says, I think that's bullshit. Um, it is relevant now. It just has to change and evolve and be adapted into the modern day. Apparently, what it is, and I'm sort of paraphrasing what she said, so sorry. Um, apparently, what it is that she's kind of involved in is working on the script in order to sort of work on the voices of the female characters in the script, which I think is probably very well needed. It wouldn't be unwelcome because Josh and I are both... Did you finish watching the show this week? No. I've, okay. Are you talking about Fleabag? Fleabag, right. I haven't finished like, Fleabag. Josh and I have both watched most of Fleabag this week, both seasons, which is a show that she did for Amazon Prime, if you've got that. Otherwise, I suppose you'll have you, to Thank you, Jeff it. Bezos. Thank you. Please let your workers unionize. <laughs> um, or just like... I don't know. Kill yourself and divert your wealth to any other human. Yeah, on the or let us kill you. Yeah, I'll yeah. kill you, Jeff let me Bezos. Eat you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, uh, British comedian. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll put that out there as well. If if you don't want Josh to kill you, Jeff, I'll kill you. Okay. <laughs> Break your pick. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, British comedian, actor, writer, uh, most famous recently for the shows Killing Eve and Fleabag. Fleabag is a with Josh and I were sort of talking about it as a sort of not very woke idea for a show where it's a modern comedy drama with how did you describe it as sort of very sort of sexually liberated char- characters yeah how did I describe it uh, it's very sexual sexually driven very sexual protagonist which is like I don't want to say it's bad but sh- definitely there are shows that have done it better and I think that sort of thing lends itself much more to comedy rather than dramedy mm. and I've got a lot of things to say about dramedy so I won't do it <laughs> we could do that that's what this is for baby but, like it does take a really long time for her to learn anything yeah right, right. so the, the show is essentially a drama set in the modern day in London Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a person who has recently undergone a personal tragedy that's a bit of a spoiler for the first season. Um, her life is kind of falling apart. She sort of runs a small business that's fucked. She doesn't get along well with anyone in her family. She can't really maintain a, a successful relationship with any one guy. Um, this doesn't sound like it's meant to relate to an audience at all. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny. And so it's the hook of the show is that she's aware of the camera and aware of the audience. And so there'll be see- there'll be there'll be scenes where she's having some exasperating conversation with another character in the show. And so she will sort of ta- say something like, fuck, Darren, why don't you get it? And she'll look at the camera like, ugh, and give a little sigh or a little sort of coy look to the camera. Um, and it's it's an all right mechanic and she's very good she's very good in it. But I think that a lot of the looks to camera, and I think Josh, you got a bit on this, but a, yep. a lot of the looks to camera, to me, feel often like something funny happens. Phoebe, as the main character, says something funny, and then sort of looks to camera like, oh, wasn't that funny? And often, right. it's not funny enough for the actor to make direct eye contact with me and be like, huh? And so it just sort of rubs in the fact that it's not personally what <laughs> I find to be hilarious. And so I mm. thought it was good as a drama. I actually. I started it's off a with the show. Fantastic drama. Yeah, so I started off with the show being like, "All right, fuck the show. It's not funny." But th- I kept watching it because I really was intrigued by the story. I liked a lot of the characters, and as a drama, I thought it was very good. But just the comedy, I thought was more. I thought it was a really fun watch, but I didn't find myself laughing out loud. <laughs> what do you reckon? Yeah, I I agree. Like it, she breaks the fourth wall a lot, 
but it's, it's the whole point. Because that's what I was going to ask. Is it like House of Cards level of turning to the camera? It's which is like never for narrative purposes. It's almost exclusively to emphasize a joke or to break tension, which I understand because there is quite a lot of tension because it's a drama. But yeah. I think that drama, you can't necessarily have a drama and a comedy B- both be effective. Like, I don't think they work simultaneously because yeah. the way comedy... Well, it's like a, you have to have, like, a light-hearted drama that's... I mean, maybe, like, a dramedy. I, I feel like drama dramedy is often a genre given to a drama that has a lot of jokes in it, which is dumb, but, like, it's it's a drama that has light-hearted parts to it rather than, like, a, a yeah. brilliant comedy that also has dramatic bits. And I f- but I feel especially with the fact that most of the jokes are fourth wall breaks, I feel like that is incongruous with the drama. And I feel like it... I don't want to say this word. Dissident. Yeah, <laughs> right. I don't, I don't. I don't think the drama hits hard because you're aware that she's not really doing this because she's aware of the camera and she's a character. Yeah, and so it like it kind of lowers the stakes. Well, it almost feels like she's telling the mm. story to the camera. So like she'll be narrating, and sometimes she's narr- she narrates directly to camera, and sometimes she's narrating over what's happening, and she'll look at the camera, and so like. It's like she's aware of the audience the whole time and is sort of explaining, like, all right, this looks fucked what I'm doing, but this is what I'm thinking while she's doing it. So, like, right. it's, it's both happening in real time and not happening in real time. And in a way, it does, like, and the show does play around with time a lot. Like, you're not quite sure what, what order events are taking place. So, I guess mm, it yeah. does work to that aspect. And the opening sequence, there are bits where she's narrating over the top of scenes that you're watching. And then there are bits where she's talking directly to camera. And then there are bits where, in the scene, mm. she makes eye contact with camera and says stuff. So there's like almost like three. I haven't made that very clear. But there's like there's like two or three different timelines. Yeah. In terms of like when the narration is taking place, sometimes it's sometimes it's her talking directly to camera. Sometimes you're watching the the story as it's happening, and then sometimes she's narrating over what you're watching. Right? Yes, and she's very charming. And I think the fourth wall breaks, like they to an extent, they do work and they do relieve tension but i think if you're going to have a very intense character study about trauma and addiction the way this show does i don't think yeah a character study where the character is aware that they're in a character study and is constantly undermining the fact that they're in a character study i find yeah i find that a little bit um disjointed but that being said i did still enjoy the show uh definitely give it a watch but you might find it irritating when she does. Yeah, I, th- I I sort of got used to it. I watched it all in a, like sort of two or three days over the weekend, um, and I enjoyed it. I th- I think that like if I had sort of had a couple days to think about it, I would have probably just forgotten about it. If you know what I mean. Like yeah. there was there was a period of time when I was watching The Walking Dead, that AMC show from the US, and I <laughs> downloaded a couple seasons yeah. of it. And watched a couple episodes and then just f- completely forgot about it because of how slow it was. And it's only 12 episodes. Fleabag's only 12 episodes. Yeah, exactly. So. It's, a, it's a six episodes in season one, <laughs> six episodes in season two, and that's done. I was like, Josh, there's like t- eight seasons. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I've only seen 12 episodes of The Walking Dead as yeah. far yeah. as I know. Honestly, Every- you've had the best experience. Out of, yeah. um, Most people are still fine. Everybody lives. Everyone still has their arms. <laughs> I only mentioned it um, because that show specifically, just one day I was just sort of sitting there and being like... I forgot that I'm watching Walking Dead and I just completely forgotten about it. Like yeah. while I was watching it, I was into it and then sitting away for a week and then I, 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 had, I had just completely forgotten yeah, that I, I was think, even into it. I think it. it's particularly damning that the, the show isn't 
uh, ha- doesn't have enough strength behind it to rem- to to motivate you to to watch it and to remind yeah. you that it's something that you want to be doing. It's just something that you can occupy your fucking eyes with. Yeah, exactly. But if like if it's not doing that in the moment in time that you're watching it, it at the second that you turn it off, yeah, yeah it's yeah. just gone. And it turned into torture porn after like <laughs> season yeah. three or whatever. Yeah, and you're like, oh, nothing is ever going to get better. We're just gonna watch people right. we like suffer for another hundred episodes yep. again. Walking Dead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it would have been better as like a Game of Thrones thing where they just killed off main characters. Well, they do. Th- no, oh, no, no, no. I mean, yeah, right. killed killed off like the like, main character. Yeah. Killed yeah, off Rick. Fucking... Oh, yeah. Oh, God damn. That can't. Pickle um, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think Great overall... Crossover. So funny. Great overall, crossover. I think I enjoyed Fleabag. And yes. I, I think the comedy is obviously... I feel like comedy is a lot more subjective than drama often is to the point where I would say I would probably recommend Fleabag because it, the comedy wasn't personally something I find hilarious. Yeah. But I was still entertained by it. And I think that if it's the sort of thing that you do find hilarious, you're going to fucking love the show. Because uh, everything else yes. about the show is really good. I think a lot of the writing's very good. In season two, the priest, played by that Irish bloke, yep. he's really good. And they introduce this thing where like, she'll turn to the character and he'll be like, why do you keep doing that? And he, he's kind of like... He's aware of her He's, he's aware of her fourth wall breaks. But which not is the audience. <laughs> it's a cool mechanic That's, of the yeah. show. Uh, yeah, I would, also re- I would also recommend it. Um, of like definitely the story is something I don't super duper relate to. I think it's definitely no. aimed at a more uh feminine audience. I think um, I think so. Which is like great, yeah. Uh, but I definitely I was like, I like I don't want to brag. I know a thing or two about comedy, but I was just sort of like, oh, comedy comedy is here to break tension, purely to break right. tension. Not to I think be, not to be quality in of itself. Yeah. yeah, which isn't isn't necessarily bad, but at the same time, you are trying to build tension because you're a drama. Well, so. I think yeah. she sort of talked a bit about. I've heard a lot of mixed things about it being either like a fifty fifty, because she I heard her often saying like, I want it to be a show with a lot of scenes in it that make you go like, oh, and have a lot of dramatic kind of stings. But at the same time, she's often, it's often written about as if it's this great comedy with drama in it. Mm. So I don't, I think that they're trying to get it 50-50 right down the middle as being like a, a, a hard-hitting drama that makes you think that has great comedy in it rather than a comedy that is made serious by drama or a drama that is lightened by comedy. Out of all the cult dramedy shows that have sort of been hits in the last five to ten years, this one's probably one of the best ones. I I think it's very good. I think that the problem is that, I suppose, yeah, because it's so obviously trying to make you laugh because she literally makes eye contact with you and winks and shit, I think that it makes you think more critically about whether or not the comedy is brilliant or not. Or whether it it fits the narrative, which I would argue it doesn't. I would love to... Like, we were talking about Death of the Author earlier. I would love to hear what she has to say about the show. Yeah. Um, But I don't know if that will necessarily make her show better. But, like, Fleabag... Uh, watch Fleabag. It's a real easy watch, and it is it is good. It is good. We're just bitching about it because we're a couple of whites with opinions. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else are we to do? Yeah, oh so my goodness! I can't wait for Scar to come back. I reckon we need. A, I reckon we need a taxonomy of drama slash comedy spectrum movies, and they can. We can mandate it by like it's Schindler's List to Grown Ups no, 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 a no, Spectrum. No. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Sh- but Schindler's List is a drama. Full stop. Right, and then you have oh, you slowly. I, I thought it was hilarious. You slowly introduce. R <laughs> slash the Donald over yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fuck you. Um, but you slowly, you slowly introduce, you slowly introduce the Medi letters, or the yep. the D the DY on the end gets put there as you as you migrate further to the comedy end of the spectrum. Yeah, and it's whether or not like so you can spell it like drama D. 
and that's like mostly drama but a bit of comedy. Or you can spell it like Dram Eddy. Like it, and that's that's, 50, 50. that's almost fifty fifty. Yeah. Then you split the M in the middle, and that's exactly 50, capitalize 50. the M in exactly. the middle. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Yep. And then you can spell it dramedy, mm. and that's so, mostly comedy with a bit of drama. What are they talking about on the recent episode of Beef Station? They mostly just like tried to describe an infographic yeah. for like a good fifteen minutes. I <laughs> am talking about a taxonomy <laughs> of dramedies divided along linguistic boundaries. With a an inbuilt classification system Sounds as a like side benefit. I just want to know where Nick and Nora's infinite playlist fits in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Not hundred percent. Has anyone also, else? Every fucking time you guys have said, um, what was the name of the thing that you were just talking about? Fleabag. 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 Thank you. Because every fucking time you've brought it up, I have thought, oh, they're talking about Bottle Rocket, um, Wes Anderson's <laughs> first movie, and then Wes Anderson's not a woman. You said series, and so my brain's gone, no, no, you fucking idiot. That's a movie. They're talking about Dogtooth, Yorgos Lanthimos' first movie. And then again, my brain has gone, no, you fucking moron. It's a series. And then I've gone, oh, I don't know what they're talking about. This infuriating that has happened every time. This infuriating tangent is getting cut out of the every final fucking <laughs> time. Uh, has anyone else got any uh, beefness or pleasure? No. Anyone else got anything Shh. they did during the week? Yeah, I'll talk. I'll talk briefly um, about Steven Spielberg's Lincoln. Uh, right. Okay. So there's this guy, Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Steven <laughs> Spielberg. He was, <laughs> he was a bit. He was a bit of like the original rapper. I got to turn my chair around and. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it was all a dream. Turn that cap with it. So that uh, so that movie came out in like 2012 or whatever, and I watched it. I watched it with Oscar. <laughs> um, and in 2012, in baby. 2012, the year of the Lord. John Cusack can't touch this. Uh, and we were for those of you playing at home, you, you didn't hear that, but Oscar <laughs> just sucked off the table a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> We're in space. The wine would have just floated yeah, into your mouth. Yeah, that's true. You could have just done the... <laughs> I can't spill a drop of this valuable $15 wine. Oh, fucking hell. I mean, we Money bags over we here. We smuggled it all the way onto the beef station. <laughs> the Sorry, Josh, man? You, were thi- you were thinking about Lincoln. At least it's red wine, which pairs nicely with beef. That's true. <laughs> it's true. And tablecloths. <laughs> and tablecloths. Yeah. Um, Carry on. And when we first watched Lincoln, I remember ex- having to explain the history and the geography to Oscar, because mm. he... Didn't study the American Civil Never War. Never heard of America. Well, so Josh, um, you, you went to you went to high school in America. I went to high school in the US. So there was a lot of like when we watched it. There was a lot of like, yeah, but no one would get this if they hadn't like had this yeah, history as right. a given when they were watching. And we it. called it the War of Northern Aggression. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> um, that's not true. I went to school in California. <laughs> a what's a patient? Yeah. Uh, who? <laughs> um, so when I first watched it, I hated it. I was right. like, this is just like history class. I'm sitting in history class watching a very long movie about history that's just retelling me facts about how hard it is to get uh, Democrats to vote for emancipation. Oh, yeah, I think our consensus at the time was if you hadn't learned this in history class, you wouldn't understand. It's not doesn't tell the history very well. Yes, I agree. I, like, yeah, exactly. Um which it's <laughs> how I felt about it then was very similar to how I feel about Detective Pikachu now. <laughs> I'm like, it's a fucking hot if take, man. If you didn't play Pokemon <laughs> Yellow, you don't understand, man. You weren't there. You wouldn't know that Oak is actually the name of one of the professors. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. So you were saying that when you watched Lincoln this week. I watched Lincoln this week, and I really like it. First of all, 
it's very restrained for a Steven Spielberg film. Fuck. Very restrained. Yeah. Which, be, that fucking guy. The, the official Steven Spielberg position for Beef Station is that he's the Cadbury Dairy Milk of directors. Discuss. If you left Dairy Milk out in the fucking sun for 20 years. <laughs> he, like, he's made some incredible films. He's that Dairy Milk with the fatty white bits in it. Like, if you. Yeah. yeah. Dairy Milk with the fats separated out. Yes. <laughs> They're, like, even. Even the good recent Steven Spielberg movies like Bridge of Spies and the I would post. even say the, I would say The Post, even though The Post <laughs> is a snooze yep. and it's one of the many movies that talks about how important media and journalists are. Look at you, Spotlight. Neoliberal shit. Yeah. yeah. Even the good Take ones. This one is very, like it's, he's known for his like very sweeping camera movements and very good use of, sometimes overuse of special effects yep. and like doesn't necessarily direct his actors the best. Like there are ex- <laughs> exceptions, of course, but is it the best with sound or lighting or? <laughs> but like, <laughs> but this movie is something I don't think Steven Spielberg has necessarily done before, which is a character study. Mm. Besides maybe Schindler's List. No, not Schindler's List. Um, like no, this. This yeah. is basically. You guys think of Abraham Lincoln. This is what society remembers Abraham Lincoln for. Did you know that he was like a little bit nuts and kind of a bad dad and super conflicted about everything and didn't actually know what he was doing? Right. And it's like really good at picturing, uh, dis- uh, portraying an American icon, which is not something that happens a lot in America as p- portraying an American icon as flawed. Portraying him as not yeah. only as flawed, but also like directionless, uninspired and kind of like a bad family man where, where he like, doesn't like doesn't really like his wife but does like loves her but doesn't really listen to her has a son that he's not really present for tells one of his sons is just like i don't care if you die in this war um and all that sort of stuff <laughs> and where he's just sort of yeah he's a he's a man instead of being like this demigod who freed the slaves and re- reunited a country yeah like etched in yeah. mount rushmore kind of shit yeah, yeah like he they yeah they portray someone who basically yeah is a god to millions of people as just a guy like sort of in the same way Martin Scorsese did with Jesus <laughs> um, uh, so do you want to yeah. talk a bit about Daniel uh, Daniel Day Lewis let's segue we segue yeah so if you haven't seen those movies obviously the link there is that Daniel Day Lewis portrayed Abraham Lincoln in the Lincoln <laughs> yeah and, and portrayed Abraham Lincoln in There Will Be Blood <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, before we launch into that, I've got another bit of beefness or pleasure. You've got to edit this, um, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not editing this, so we can keep talking. Yeah, sorry. Are you going to be able to edit this out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just to absolutely ruin your segue, um, I watched a Bob Dylan documentary this week, which I think is interesting enough that we should talk about it before we launch into our discussion of There Will Be Blood, which, of course, Daniel Day-Lewis also starred in alongside the Lincoln film. It would have been real good if you'd done this before the segue. (laughs) Yes, sorry. Um, I thought that you would have something. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, (laughs) uh, I never have anything. That's my thing. So, uh, (laughs) Bob Dylan. I guess that makes that a thing, right? (laughs) Quick crash course in the Bob Dylan touring touring years is that in 1965 or 66, he went electric and did some of his most creative, most... Huge step forward artistic work yet. And everyone loved and it and he's he been went, famous ever since. Yeah, right. That was the Dylan went electric stuff and he was booed in like every show he ever went on. He was this 24, 25-year-old dude that was at the peak of his creative career 
um, and he was getting booted every show, and so he basically just quit touring. And he had a, he had a motorcycle accident that almost killed him, and he essentially just lived up in the fucking countryside for like eight to ten years. Um, the Rolling Thunder Review was a tour that he did in 1975, which was a full eight to ten years after he had quit touring. <laughs> Which is insane, because it's Bob Dylan, who is already a living legend, who has now come back on the road to tour. Yeah, to be like Paul McCartney was like, fuck you, I'm not ever appearing live. And then after like a decade, he was like, oh, actually, I'm going live again. I suppose like in terms of people that are like as popular as he would have been back then, it would be like if Taylor Swift just gave up touring for 10 years or whatever. like And and almost died in a motorcycle accident. (laughs) (laughs) Fingers crossed. And (laughs) also released critically acclaimed work. Um, um, And wrote her own songs. Basically, the Rolling Thunder Review is a very exciting period in his life, because (laughs) he came back with a full band. And it was this weird gypsy kind of vibe with backup singers and a backup band that he'd never really had before. Mm. And he did alternate versions of all of his old songs, like all these old folk songs he did as like a version with a 10-piece band with a violin and fucking three backup singers and shit. Uh, and so it's interesting. So a lot of people don't necessarily... pieces. What were the other six pieces? <laughs> yeah. so, so a lot all of, people... of them were maracas. <laughs> <laughs> So um, it's not six fucking <laughs> So it's not necessarily music that everyone enjoys, but he came back and it's an interesting period of his career. Netflix has released a Martin Scorsese directed documentary that is a a a documentary of that new tour. It's mostly archival footage. With new interviews with a lot of the, you know, here's the old producer, and here's an interview with Bob, and he hasn't been on camera for like 15 years, and here's an interview with Joan Baez, who was one of the singers who he's sung with, and all that sort of shit. Um, The interesting headline-type stuff that's made the news this week about it is that even though it's a documentary, they went out of their way to go back and film fake shit for the documentary. Right. And not tell anyone. And so there's a list of five things that <laughs> happen. Not in tell the- anyone and film fake shit. <laughs> well, so so I mean, they're not saying like, oh, it's like fictionalized account. They're they're presenting it as a documentary, but there are major parts of the documentary that are fictionalized that are presented in the documentary as true. For example, Sharon Stone is an actress who is big in the eighties and nineties, and in the documentary, she's one of the talking heads alongside the producer yeah, and the drummer was, and Bob Bob Dylan and Charles stuff. Manson, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that's Sharon uh, Tate. <laughs> uh, Char- Sharon Stone tells this story about her meeting Bob Dylan on the tour when she was 17 or 18, and Bob and her getting along very well and her tagging along for the rest of the tour and meeting all the musicians. Never happened. She's never seen Bob Dylan live. It's just not true. Right. There's another guy who is the producer and who tells all these stories about him being the producer of the tour back in the 70s, who's now an executive at Paramount Studios, and he was never the producer, ever. That was okay. just fa- that was fake. There's another guy who talks about how he was a congressman back in the seventies, and he got tickets from Jimmy Carter to see the show in Niagara Falls. That guy's an actor. He wasn't a congressman. The guy who he's talking about was never a congressman. It's just an actor that they've paid to pretend to be some guy that got tickets. And it's there's like five. So what's what's the point? Exactly. And it's this interesting. It's this. It's this interesting. <laughs> Exercise in like how Bob Dylan just fucks with you because even back in the 60s, is when he an he was executive like, producer or is it Scorsese fucking with well, you? Scorsese is the director, but Bob Dylan is famous for doing this shit, right? So, like, um, back in the early days when he was like a 20 something year old, like, yeah, tell him the count was a congressman. <laughs> tell us a story yes. about Bob Dylan, grandpa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when he was like a 20 something year old kid that just moved to New York, he would he would make up shit. 
when people he would ask any of these, he would say like, "Oh, I joined the circus and I've been playing with all the greats and I, I've I've been a, a musician in the circus for years." Yeah, sucked Jimmy Carter's dick once. I think it's really interesting. That it's, <laughs> it's interesting that it's Martin Scorsese, one of the most critically acclaimed Very directors well of all time, presenting a documentary about one of the most critically acclaimed artists of all time. Just making shit up and not really like deliberately telling anyone. Like it's people. It's been people off their own bat, being like, "I looked up this guy that talked about the documentary, and he doesn't exist." Right? What the fuck? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> no shit. one's like publicly talked about it. I feel like this also explains why I walked into your house and you're punching holes in the wall. But <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really interesting. Um, I suppose I'd hope that you. I think you want to hate fucking Martin Scorsese. <laughs> yeah. Now. I suppose yeah. I, the, the documentary itself is very good. If you have a those pass- eyebrows, baby. <laughs> if you if you pass if you have a passing interest in Bob Dylan, um, the shit that is true <laughs> is really interesting, and they it's a lot of old found footage that no one's ever seen before of like backstage footage. It's some of the only footage I've ever seen of Bob Dylan actually being happy, which mm. is weird because like. In the 60s, he was hailed as this, like, prophet and voice of a generation. And he was like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm 23 and I just write songs about tambourines and shit. What do you mean I'm the voice of a generation? The zeitgeist enough. And people were saying, like, you speak for the whole planet. Right. Um, And then, like... Paul Simon was like, I'm right here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And, And then, like, there's a documentary that was made in that Dylan going electric period where he's getting booed at every single show. And, and, and so that documentary of him touring in the 60s is the most depressing shit because you'll mm. see him go on stage and do this brilliant performance. He'll get booed and he'll go back backstage and just collapse and be like, what the fuck do I have to do? And it's this oddly human look at this artist who's at the top of his game, just absolutely depressed out of his skull because, like, he's doing everything right and no one wants a bar at it. Just play the old shit, man. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah. this is the first documentary, the first footage you've, I've seen of him, like, chronologically, where he actually seems like he's enjoying what he's doing. Yeah. And he's touring around to all these weird little places that are so psyched that Bob Dylan is coming to their hometown. Mm. It's it's a really it's cool, interesting invigorating, joyous documentary to watch. Mm. And it's made even more weird and twisted and intriguing by the fact that like there's just some random shit in there that they just make up just to keep you on your toes who's Bob, D- who's Bob Dylan yeah <laughs> uh, if well, I like I, I like the idea that Martin Scorsese is trying to push the envelope as to what a documentary is yeah what that's is a cool yeah. idea and I would bring it back around I would say that The Big Short is the best documentary ever made <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah but and it's not a documentary but no. it is a documentary so like right. what is a documentary man that's yeah, a great fuck. that's a great comparison oh, well, it, it ties in vaguely with the persona of Bob Dylan as this mysterious dude who people always try and pin down about what he's talking about and whether he is trying to be the voice of a generation <laughs> or whether he's whether he's just saying the shit that's in his mind um, and I think that I watched the biopic about him this week as well, and that sort of like without going into it, it's seven or eight different characters playing various personas and various impressions of Bob Dylan, but none of them are Bob Dylan. Not they're all named various different characters, but they all sort of like have a sliver of Bob Dylan truth around them, and the rest of it is just like fiction. Yeah. And so I think that like it's interesting to portray and sort of look at Bob Dylan as this cultural figure, as this mysterious fucking dude that no one really, he likes to portray himself as like no one really fucking understands and no no one really knows what he's about. Except you. Except me, of course. 
because I've watched three documentaries about him. I feel like the way all the way down the rabbit hole. The way you feel about Bob Dylan is the way I felt about Jack White when I was eighteen. No, I just think that like it's an interesting way. Only wears red. He's married to his sister. He was going to be a priest, but then he was an upholsterer. I'm like, who is this guy? He plays a piece of shit plastic guitar. He plays the drums better than he plays guitar, Like, but he plays guitar. But, he plays but, guitar. but also, the person who plays drums is also shit. Like, what? Uh, yeah, yeah. Jack White's not his real name. I, I suppose what I'm saying is that Bob Dylan is a hack. Or him and Jack White should 69. <laughs> uh, Hell yeah, yeah brother. I think it's interesting, and I don't it really have. And I think without with with two people fucking attacking me, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> yeah, I like this podcast because I get fifty percent more agreement. <laughs> <laughs> defend, defend Bob Dylan. Is he good at music? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> read read the fucking room, Oscar. Thanks for that analysis. So, Josh, you were talking about you were you were talking about Lincoln and about how Daniel Day Lewis is also. Oh, we're we doing this bit. It's also now after be blood. <laughs> I have to ruin the flow. I have to pee so desperately thinking right. of the flow. <laughs> Good shit. Where are you, you going to do we keep going or do nah, we wait? No, no, we'll we'll, we'll take are... a little break. <laughs> so if you're just joining us, you've just uh, missed the 20 minutes of Bob Dylan chat that got cut out of the podcast. <laughs> and the time um, and the like, <laughs> hour of other shit. Yeah. <laughs> so Josh, you were talking about Lincoln and Daniel Day-Lewis and the fact that you think that Lincoln shouldn't have freed the slaves, really. I think I might just Lincoln <laughs> these two movies together. Okay. Uh, so I'd be Lincoln. The reason why we're doing There Will Be Blood this week is because we wanted to have you on, Josh. <laughs> I don't know why. There Will Be Blood is... A movie that you're particularly fond of. I'm married to that movie. That's my would, wife you're talking about. Would you like to introduce <laughs> your GF slash friend with benefits, There Will Be Blood? There Will Be Blood is a 2007 action thriller starring Tom Cruise as... <laughs> uh, Hold on! There Will Be Blood is a uh, period drama from 2007 directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, PTA as I like to call him. Mm. Uh, about a man. Pro tour Australia. I'm never a fan of PTA. If people want to make out, they should just do it in the comfort of their own home. <laughs> parent, parent, teacher association. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah. Um, uh, it's it's about a man, Daniel Plainview, played by Daniel Day Lewis, old two dads, Daniel. I think it's hilarious whenever an actor plays a character that in the movie has their same first name. Yeah, it's good because in my head, it's like. <laughs> They couldn't do it. it. It's like it's like in my head, someone was like, "Hey, Tom, 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 Daniel." Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, yeah, like the character name was Roger Plain. Like, and they yeah. had to change it. Like yeah. they couldn't, they couldn't. He Daniel Day Lewis, the stupid fuck that he is, couldn't wrap his head around it until the mm. name of the character was the same as him, and then he could finally method himself into being like, "I am Daniel." I used to have a I, I used to have a bit about Daniel Day Lewis. Um, Short go. Do people know I'm a comedian? No, they <laughs> I just said I used to have a I bit. Mean, a bit. It's been about an hour and it hasn't quite become apparent yet. Well, you didn't. You, <laughs> you didn't up your game. You're yet you, to make a single joke. You, so. did, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Who are these people? So, um, Daniel Day. Daniel Day. Be like me an hour and be like, do people know I'm funny? Have I? T- Hello. Hello? Yeah, no, I'm just saying you introduced me and you didn't list any of my credits, but that's okay. I also didn't list your last name. I don't know if you want to be associated with this nonsense. <laughs> you know, you know, have you, you used to listen to Goofs and Spoofs LLC. <laughs> you know what sort of nonsense I used to put my name on. <laughs> so people, comedian, go. Um, 
Oh yeah, I used to have a bit. I used to have a bit about Daniel Day Lewis being a method actor and being like, at some point, you have to stop calling it acting. Basically, that was the whole <laughs> just joke. Be a fucking psychopath. Yeah, you're, you're just a guy who lives in a well with a thousand Oscars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You thought one of me was enough. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. He plays. Oh, a ca- Oscar's not. Yeah, Daniel Plainview, played by Daniel Day Lewis. He's he's an oil man. As I'm, I'm an oil man. So I'm it's set in like man. the early 1900s, this is a, this is a late 1800s. I yeah. most wanted to do an impression of. Ever. <laughs> I, I <laughs> just compels you to I'm do an impression. Of. I used he's to like, be able it, to do he's it. He's like if Bane yeah. owned an oil rig. Yeah, yeah. but he doesn't have. It's, it's his voice is like. We'll all take Husky. a pass when we get up to the milkshake bit. <laughs> yes, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. We'll all have yeah. a go. We'll <laughs> yeah. All, yeah. So, so we'll it's set turns. in like it looks like it's a Wild West kind of yeah, film, but it's, it's set, set in the dying age of that kind of era. It's set, yeah, uh, early nineteen hundreds. Early nine. Yeah, t- starts starts in the eighteen hundreds and takes place over the turn of the century. Yeah, yeah. sort of post post industrialism, but pre golden age of American capitalism. Mm. Daniel Day Lewis um, is a guy who's California. Yeah, right. Daniel yep. Day Lewis is a guy who stumbles across oil, oil and <laughs> makes his fortune that way. And the the film very rapidly skips to a point in his career where he's well founded as a mm. man who is rich and has a large fortune that is predominantly sourced from oil from fields oil. and from the businesses that he has. He's an oil that. baron. Yes, he's an he's an oil baron, and yeah. So he starts he starts the movie. Li- literally in a hole by himself Hell and yeah. he breaks his leg finds oil and he's like this is the best thing that's ever happened they're to me. gold mining right i think he's they're looking for oil it doesn't really tell you what they oh doing. okay i, I thought they were mining for gold and well, then he found it and i was like oh it's black gold right it's different straight up with that gold, opening. gold so baby it, op- it opens with daniel Day lewis in this hole just mining by himself mm. and straight up you see all these like cool little close-up shots and the lighting when he's in the hole is really great. The lighting's yeah. incredible. And so all, already you're like, all right, I'm in for a treat here. I'm not just in for none of the one of them dumb uh, <laughs> bells and whistles uh, oil movies. And, and right off the um, bat as well, combined with the lighting is the, the music, I, I yeah. think it's, it's just something that is unforgettable. It's so, like, it's so in, industrial, mm-hmm. but also melodic in a way, but also, but not... Not particularly tuneful. No, you're right. I mean, uh, you're perfectly describing the music of Radiohead. Hi. Of yeah. which, um, uh, so Johnny Greenwood is the guy who Johnny did the score Greenwood. for this film. Uh, of course, he <laughs> did the score of one of our favorite films of the other year. You were uh, never really you here. Were never really here. Oh. Mm. <laughs> you were never really here. Which. Which was also similar. I had a similar kind of tone. And there's a lot of scenes in this where I felt like. If I was just watching this scene with a normal score or with no score, it, it would mean nothing. But yeah. the score is what makes the scene substantial. It makes the it ma- makes the tension because of how exactly. eerie. Well, so unnerving. Eerie. There's a yeah. lot of scenes where like it'll yeah. be a scene that goes over two or three minutes, and the only sound is this unnerving drone of like uh, like violins or something. Well, or like this like, yeah. string kind of synthy kind of drone that would just bring this tension where just looking at the visuals and the writing on the script, there would be no tension. With like a sort of a mechanic percussion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Building in the in the background. And so the that's scores have backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah I guess yeah. so. <laughs> and it's I think that is getting to that like tapping into that sense of industrialism that's kind mm. of like clearly coming on the horizon like a lot yeah, of the a, a lot of the technology in this is is like kind of 
wooden yeah. in a way. Like it's the you know sort of the the oil platforms, like the extraction wells, are built with predominantly like wood, wood. and it's clear that like. <laughs> It's clear that <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. No, that was you're right. I, you meant, I am very I thought, funny. I thought you meant like somehow metaphorically speaking, they are wooden. Well, that like like stilted. That'll learn you to read into what I say. <laughs> they're made of wood because frequently I will clarify that I mean literally. And like there, there are a couple of shots of. No, you're right. Halfway through my thought, I am an idiot. Yeah. Wood is dumb. Yeah. Why no. did I? Why did I think wood would would work? <laughs> I think uh, yeah. Would cl- work. Like a lot of the very nice. I think a lot of the <laughs> percussive stuff is meant to kind of give you this sense that, like, in the background, there's this constant like metal pounding machinery that's coming. Mm. But yeah. right now, they're not experiencing that yet, which is why it's backgrounded. And we know. Was my point. You. Yes, it it feels saboteur. Im- it feels impending and it feels inevitable. And we know as the audience what happens to men like Rockefeller and uh, the oil one, the other mm, oil boy, the other oil boy, um, Murdoch, and how yeah, and how they base basically destroyed America for a brief period. <laughs> yeah, and like we know that like it's it's a cautionary tale. It's a horror movie in a little well, bit yeah. of a way. And mm. there's already at the start of the film you get. People die fucking quickly. Um, yeah, they just heaps of people die shit. brutally, and yeah. it's it really sort of and, and and like the industrial kind of score that just churns on, and everyone in the film that seems to be singularly focused on killed the by finan- machines. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The financial gain of the oil and the machines that are the death, and like people's negligence that are the death of everyone. It's killed never by, anyone's killed fault. By capitalism. Yeah, exactly. <gasps> it's all about like the human cost of industry, especially since it's set around the turn of the century. Just the idea that like all of the huge change and all this big industrial upheaval that we're witnessing throughout this film because that's when this film is kind of set mm. it's all like people willing to compromise all their ethics and morals and like cast aside any human life that it might cost them in yep. order to make their own fortune I mean literally morals like he goes to a, a church like he becomes the authority in the town over yeah. a church which I'm not saying the church is necessarily moral, as we find out later in the film, but yeah. like as a as a metaphor for morality, he basically comes in, stamps his authority, and, says, and and yeah, says I'm in charge now. So, I'm your god now. So I yep. suppose that's a vague, um, a, a good vague way of describing what the story is. Is that it's so we see this we see this initial sort of prologue of Daniel Day Lewis finding the oil originally that makes him this huge wealthy man. Mm-hmm. It skips ten years in the future. Drags himself into a town. He's bra- with a broken he bra- leg. With a broken leg to bring back men to mine this oil for him. Yeah. Um. One of the men is killed by a beam a beam of wood falling down a shaft. And that's and all about like the the cost of the cost of human life yeah. through industry and all that. And Daniel Day Lewis just takes his son, takes this man's son yeah. who is yeah. a baby, anoints him with oil and takes him. <laughs> right. And then we jump fifteen years into the future or whatever and Daniel Day Lewis is an oil man and he's looking to buy a new tract of land to build his new well, that's what that, that that ties down to the next thing, which I was going to well, say was that this film isn't well. vaguely biblical at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, have you got anything to say about the biblical allusion in, in the film, or any, anything to do with that kind of thing? I've got heaps. Cool, um, Andrew. What do you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, moving I've, on. I've got uh, just as much as Josh. The but it's all in the other direction. 
I really I like I like this movie because it's got it's got two basic tenets, two basic themes that it explores, and it interwines them and interchanges them beautifully. Sure, religion and capitalism. Or religion yes. and greed and wealth or whatever. Agreed. And the whole film is basically about those two themes playing off each other. Playing off each other and at the yeah. end becoming almost identical yeah. to the point where only yeah. one can survive. And it's a brilliant analysis of exactly the cultural trade-offs involved in embracing capitalism mm. and the, the trade-offs involved in accepting religion as the core sort of tenet yes. of your society. And then the ways in which the two main figures, Paul Dano being the preacher in the, in the, in the village that... Mm. Daniel Day-Lewis moves to to find oil, and Daniel Day-Lewis, of course, being the person that represents the the big company coming to find the oil. Yeah, and they have a rivalry at first. Where Absolutely, and there's a lot of like very cinematic shots where it sort of directly contrasts and compares the two people. And there's the two the two things that I like. Yeah, is the comparing and the contrasting between um, Daniel and Paul. His name. His name's Paul. I think in the his movie name too. is literally Paul, but then Paul <laughs> and Daniel. Paul Dano. Paul Dano plays but, um, Paul. The name of the character that is the preacher isn't Paul, but Paul Dano plays identical twins. And one of the Eli. Twins is Eli. Eli. Eli yeah, is, Paul yeah. and Eli. A biblical last name. So There's, the person who alerts. Uh, the person who alerts Daniel Plainview to the fact that there's oil on that land. Mm is Eli's brother, yeah, Paul. So who fi- is called Paul. The film yes. starts yes. with like, oi, come to my little village, our little village has oil, and then the whole f- the whole film is No, it's is not like just come to, it's I'll sell my village out from under me for $500. Yeah. Yes, to you. <laughs> he just wants an iPod. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get that U2 album, it's the only way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah so you, you were saying about the... The comparison between yeah, capitalism is, and religion. Yeah, there are two baptisms in the movie. There's the there's a part of the movie where Eli and Daniel they're having a bit of a tiff. It's quite petty at first, um, and Eli wants to bless this new well. Daniel usurps his authority and says, "You're not going to do it. I will." Like literally says, "Okay, you want to bless it? Okay, we'll come to the opening," and then picks a child and blesses it himself and says, "Fuck you." <laughs> I'm I'm God, basically. Yep. And then Eli, upset, goes to him and says, I was going to bless it. And then Daniel Plainview throws him in the mud and throws like oil and mud on him. That's baptism number one. That's how Daniel baptizes people. Oh, to get his revenge, Eli then basically emotionally blackmails uh, Daniel into becoming a member of his congregation. And basically, like win the trust of the county or whatever. Yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, but basically as a ruse to shame him about abandoning his son. Yeah, and is like trying to show his congregation that he's not a super good man, and so he humiliates him in front of his congregation. That's the second baptism. So like that's a very obvious which is parallel. which is water, which is water. Yeah, um, which is the way that Jesus was baptized. If you read the fucking oh. Bible, yeah, interesting that those two substances are immiscible <laughs> <laughs> and they never mix. Water and Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whereas wine and Jesus, yeah, baby. <laughs> well, I mean, him walking on water would would have meant that. Yeah, they were probably that Jesus was oil. Water. Holy yeah. crap! Um, oh, capitalism's good now. Capitalism is good. <laughs> Jesus is capitalism. Yeah. So, and I, I really liked. I think my favorite part of this film was the cinematography 
and the score yep. and the way in which they enhanced each other. There's a lot of very I saw that sinister and I was like score. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of very sinister shit. Are you that Canadian? Happens. Oh no. Uh, um, there's a lot no. of very sinister shit that happens that only feels sinister because of the score. Because of the score and the, yeah. the framing as well. The way yeah. that like there's so many while very intense and integral scenes are taking place, it's just a close up on Daniel Plainview. Absolutely. While everything else is happening like basically off screen and you're just seeing his reaction and his like anger and pure emotion to things that you're not even seeing. Yeah, and so uh, speaking of like close-ups of Daniel Plainview, most of the movie is then a character study of this guy mm. that it seems like goes from an everyman, we mm. see him as like a laborer at the beginning of the movie, to no. this absolute no. fucking <laughs> like psychotic I will profit for myself at the cost of everything. Disown my kind son. Kind of disown my son by the end of the movie. I think at the I think at the beginning of the movie he is an everyman. No, because they I could always have begun read him as absolutely fucking. Well, no, because you don't see anything about him other than the fact that he's just this dude, sort of like, you know, this poor guy, like no, mining in a like, hole. The way that he speaks. Oh, yeah, maybe for the first like thirty seconds. That's what I mean. The, the first but thirty seconds where he finds the oil and then breaks his leg and then it flashes ten years in the future. The whole point of them showing you that is to show him before he gets rich and before he gets successful when he's just a guy on the grind looking for oil. No, and the, the, it shows the second you that he's addressing before. the second that he's addressing the town and he's like I'm an oil man and then he like That's the way good. just the way that he speaks <laughs> is, thank you. The way that he speaks and like the way that he waits when the audience is loud and then he walks out of the town when he's like they're not listening to me. Yeah, he's playing me. them for sure. Yeah. Right. But Paul F. Tompkins chases him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um when he looked, the it, I, mad credit to Day Lewis for this particular performance, which I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first person to say. But I mean, the Academy thinks so too. Yeah, but but specifically because I think from the very first moments of this film, you get this absolute latent psychopathy. Well, I from disagree. Him, where he has no fucking empathy. Literally, I disagree because literally the first moments of the film is just him alone looking for oil. Yeah. And my he point is... He smears a baby's head with no, oil. No, no. Okay. That's, that's the second or third scene. The first scene let of me the address, whole film. Let me address your point about the first scene of the film, him being an everyman. He doesn't fucking he's, remember the first scene no, of the film. No, he does. But he he, he's, he's forsaken, like basically forsaken his humanity in pursuit yeah. of greed. Yeah. In, the f- in, the, in the sense that in he's like scene. disfigured and broken himself, he breaks himself. He's e- he like he's eating beans out of a can in his underwear, away from yeah. society, in and a he, hole. He sure. ignores like inhuman pain in to order s- to try and like, secure to more some, wealth. To some degree, when you first watch it, though, I can see that as determination. It's the determination of a poor man who's trying to make his Absolutely. way in a challenging world, and it turns from this determination to this like inhuman level of focus and determination to be the best above all else like no one ever was to catch oh them goodness. is his He's real call Pokemon is capitalism <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah no but I think that like it very, it, it's a very rapid transition but I think the whole point of that first scene is to show him pre-fame pre-wealth pre-success but still chasing wealth and success yeah. at any cost to show him like which is psychopathic like, here's how we go from determined to like Here's how fucked up you can get just being that determined. I, I think for you're him. reading a lot into his character from the first scene. Yeah, and I think that well, the there's entire a, there's rest a reason of the why film, they would have shown it. But the entire yeah no I, I I get that. But the entire rest of the film is absolutely without question like his 
his unending hunger for any kind of yeah, like, and it ramps up the one. more it goes. Like it goes from like him like know, sacrificing gets... his workers' safety to like sacrificing the safety of his own personal family. The second, like the second moment in the film, the second like real story beat is him literally taking another man's child and smearing oil on its forehead. Yeah, but it's like it, I don't think it ramps up particularly hard. I think he just gets more capital. I see that scene as like his character is consistent. It's an accident. In the, the in the man dying. In the man dying, the man dying is a complete accident, and then you can see it as like a, a it's like a negligence kind of thing. But it, it's an accident, and then he, as an act of charity and an act of kindness, takes this child into his life. He and the only child is uses t- his son to try and make and that's, more money. But that's what you see as it goes on. The more the movie goes no, on, the more like you see this. Immediate. Well, no, the more the more you, the more it goes on, the more you see it as manipulation of his audience as he pitches his business with his child in the background. I think the first few scenes he refers to his his son, his partner, a family business kind of thing. And it's only as the film progresses mm, that you God. see it as more of a problematic, uh, like, uh, utilization Exploita- and exploitation, ex- exploitation of sure. The child. But that I would say that it was you only see it as exploitation towards the end when you realize what's been going That's on. But it has been time. exploitation. Yeah, the whole exactly. Time. And so I think maybe it's more of like our perspective if this guy changes as it goes. I would say that in his case, I would say in most cases. That level of determination and like cold psychopathy isn't really a spectrum. I would say it's probably just the same thing. Right. Well, I suppose maybe yeah. what I'm. I suppose maybe stop defending capitalism, Oscar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not that bad. <laughs> it's it, the wealth trickles down. You don't understand. Um. No, I suppose then maybe what you perhaps I ought to shoot you to impress <laughs> Jody Foster. I didn't. I didn't sign um, off on any Reaganomics on this fucking podcast. I suppose a nice. Com- I suppose a nice compromise is that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is it just I'm right and you're wrong, right? <laughs> That's fine. I, I just uh, maybe maybe like obviously you you read it differently. Maybe he's been the same did, way the whole time. Yes, that's how I read it, and it just reveals it slowly. Exactly. Yes. But I saw him being that from in, in like his bones. That's that's who he is. He's just he like Daniel Plainview is actually one of the coldest, most clinical anthropomorph- yeah. anthropomorphizations. Fuck yeah of capitalism that I think I've ever seen. I, I suppose maybe what I meant is that his representation as a character changes as it goes through the movie. Yeah, in you're, that, you're pretty the way more you, of it. Your the perception way, of the character yeah, changes yeah. as you go through exactly. the movie. Exactly. I suppose yeah. that's what I meant. He's because obviously the same guy who is who he is the whole time. Because we're brought up in a system that tells you that determination and working hard isn't a bad thing. Mm. And yeah. then and then and we see se- the fa- Seeking wealth. Yeah. Seeking wealth isn't a bad thing. And, you it know, takes that to the next looking level. after your own isn't a bad thing. And then yeah. we see... By even like the start of the first act, or the start of the second act, sorry, is you're like, oh yeah, these these are things that are coming at the expense of other people. Yep. Even yeah. your own son. Right. Because then, of course, like one of the things that happens in the course of the film, so like his son is predominantly there as sort of this um like statue figure for him yeah, to kind of a like prop. pedal. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, during a sales pitch, and. Uh, what happens, this is like a mild spoiler, I guess, is that the son is trying to have like a childhood experience and is very close to one of the wells when yeah. it catches fire and blows up and his hearing gets blown out. And so he, so he literally loses an entire sense yeah. and his ability to communicate properly with his sort of pseudo-father. Yeah. And that is something that doesn't As really get fixed yeah. for the rest of the film. Well, he his... As far as he knows, he doesn't find out until he's much later, his fake father. He's, right. He doesn't know that he 
Daniel Plainview took him from a basket. That's true. Yeah. Until later, and he has to have an interpreter sign that to him yep. because he can't. And but yeah, and immediately as soon as his son loses his hearing, Daniel Plainview was like, "Get him out of here." He's yeah. not useful I, to me anymore. He's immediately annoying. He, I immediately, he's a burden to me. Send him away. Well, it's played in, it's played in the beginning as like Daniel Plainview having such an emotional reaction to his son being crippled for life, and such a, it's so overwhelming to him as a character mm. that he needs to have his son just go, and he needs to have a professional look at his son. And I feel like okay. it's, it's at about that time. It's at, it's at about the time where his son is just expelled from the picture of the film. Mm. Um, when I sort of started to go, like, right, something's seriously fucked up with this guy. Like, I could see before that he's starting to make some compromises, but now that he's left his son uh, and he's still fucked up and mm. he's not just using his family as an excuse and he's not using anything else and he's still this crazy-ass guy um, is when I started to really sort of clue into the fact that him as a... Ca- Daniel Plainview as a character... It was a really grotesquely sinister character. Sure, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely like a major point of when, yeah, H.W. his son loses his hearing, and he's, he's like, and he's like, his, his the char- yeah. his son is like permanently disfigured, and he doesn't seem to be very sort of phased by it. I suppose this is a pretty spoilery kind of element of the movie. He's, but yeah, yeah, he's definitely not empathetic towards it. He's definitely like. How do I deal with this now? Now how? Now what do I do? Yeah, and, and I, it's, I also read uh, read it as a reputational risk for yes. him because, like, what would people, what would his potential business partners think if they found out that his son, he let his son play near an oil well, and yeah, yeah, he went deaf. Like, um, I, 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 for me, it was he was. He was engaging in risk management by sending his son away Hell because yeah. the prop, like that prop, was no longer a, a useful image that made that contributed to him as a family man anymore. Raises well, a lot of questions. That's part exactly. of what feels very sinister about the film is him seeing his son as a prop mm-hmm. and mm. as an asset rather than a, a human being, and that's when it starts to kind of unwind. Yeah. His very last exchange with his son is extremely dehumanizing as mm. well. Is like his son is basically like what's up, dad? Do you want to talk to me? And he's like, I don't want to fucking talk to you. And like calls him a bastard from a basket mm. for, yeah. for three or four minutes. <laughs> and like the first introduction you have to him, he says, this is my son, HW Plainview. And then the last yeah. last thing he says to his son is, yeah, you're a bastard from a basket. And the framework is whether or not he's able to exploit that to profit. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, that's the factor that changes his interaction with it. And especially, yeah, in the later interaction when he does have his wealth and capital and it's manifested itself in this massive mansion where he's now a recluse and all that sort of stuff and he's like I definitely don't need my son now and yeah. he's come ask he's come talking to me about how he's happy and married and wants to reconnect and all this sort of stuff why would I need that yeah and then it, like I don't should we can we talk about the last scene because it's definitely well, the best we, scene in the movie should we give a vague uh, type of the movie then for anyone that wants to avoid spoilers first then? yeah I feel like we haven't done a particularly good job of explaining like, sell- it at selling- all no 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 <laughs> yeah. well it's hard to explain it is. I think because it's this movie was one of the maybe the, the most compelling film I've ever watched in that every moment drove me to want to watch the next moment in the movie and I can't fucking tell you why well no I think the film in itself though I think that scene to scene the film is in some instances kind of boring 
in that it's so slow. It is slow. It's I didn't, really, I didn't find maybe it boring. Maybe not boring, but, yeah. but it's very slow. It's very well paced. Um, and I don't, I can't quite tell you what it's about, mm. other than just like a random three weeks in some oil tycoon's life. Well, it's about with some flashbacks and some flash forwards, but really, it's just this this oil tycoon guy going to a little village, completely disrupting the daily life of the village to uh, build. It's, his it's oil about thing. the rise of capitalism. It's a metaphor. America. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, that's for what sure. it's about. And it's it just uses one man. It's an analysis the... of the role of capitalism and the role of religion in society, and about how they're essentially the same thing, and they make the same compromises. To further their success, they're they're both opiates of the people. If I can quote uh, Groucho Marx for a second, <laughs> <laughs> if I can quote Elmo for a second, I wouldn't want to be a member of any club that doesn't eat the bourgeoisie. Fuck yeah, <laughs> Groucho um, Marx. No, but I think I think that I don't think it's a particularly fun movie to watch. <laughs> but I think if you're in a I think if you're in the right yeah, kind I of agree. mood... Well, no, I think that, like, it's not the sort of movie where I think if anyone asked me, like, what's a cool movie I can watch tonight? It'd be like, watch There Will Be Blood. You have to be in a really fucked kind of mindset, I think, to watch this movie. I think it puts... it. Uh, yeah, I see where you're coming from. To an extent, I agree. But it also, like, it got me in a bit of a fucked mindset, mm. right? I wasn't really feeling it, and then I was like... I was kind of watching it while I was doing something, yeah. and after, like, the first scene, I stopped... Everything I was that, doing, yeah. and I just watched the fucking right. movie. I think that this movie kind of reminds me of, not that I've not fallen asleep during 2001, but it reminds me of the same <laughs> sort of thing as 2001, where it's this greater level of commentary about society wrapped up in a movie, where like you're not going to be like, oh man, yeah, watch 2001 tonight, you'll dig it. Right. Like, you, you have can't to, like, be on your phone while no, you're yeah. watching You have movie, to like yeah. be properly like, alright, I'm going to fucking watch There Will Be Blood. It's similar to, I, no, I, I get it confused with this movie a lot, or I did before I watched it, um, no country for old men. Yeah, I do that a lot as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Get those old men out of my country. <laughs> yeah. Uh, pull those old men out of the ground and <laughs> set them on fire. Send them somewhere. They're covered in oil. Yeah. <laughs> no country for old men. Isn't that just Ibiza? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Spain. <laughs> <laughs> and your monarchy. Yep. Fuck the monarchy. All of them. What are we talking about? No Sorry. country uh, for old men. No, uh, no, no country for old men. In that it's <laughs> like, oh, what's it about? Oh, it's kind of about a psychopath. So, sort of, but like that's yeah. not a good explanation. There's a psychopath in it. Yeah. There's a yeah. briefcase full of money. <laughs> and it's like, why is it interesting? It's like, oh, the way that it tells the story, but like not Tommy inherently. Lee, yeah, Tommy Lee Jones is in it, but not in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's in it a bit. That Will Smith thing with the great. Converse is definitely product placement. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I think it's hard to describe because I think the film is ultimately more about a commentary on society in general rather than what's actually going on it's in a the com- story. It's a commentary on capitalism specifically. Yeah, yeah, so like if you say like so. what's the movie about outside of what it's commenting on, you'd be like, oh, it's kind of just about this fucking guy and his oil. And so you just have to sort of take it on faith that it's a good movie. Because <laughs> yeah. I think that like it's not an inherently compelling storyline as a pitch. Yes. I think that if someone was really into Paul Thomas Anderson, they would have gone to see this. I think I, I sure. think, I don't think that this movie has much of a draw card other than watching a trailer with all these weird shots and Daniel Day Lewis being a fucking weirdo and being like, that looks cool. Yeah, it's definitely not a it's definitely not a mainstream movie in that the story that's told in the movie isn't the story that you should take away from the movie. Right. So like I would agree, but I I don't think 
that's necessarily a valid critique of the movie. Why can't it just say what it's about, Josh? I don't get it. <laughs> Anim- Animal Farm's just about some cool pigs um, yeah. that, so that we, like wine. <laughs> yeah. If we just give a solid, good old spoiler warning. Animal Farm's about a farm. It's about it, a farm. It's, it's like a 15-year-old fucking movie, but if you, if you don't want to know the ending of There Will Be Blood, we're going to talk about the ending of There Will Be Blood. I, yeah. I I would I would strongly recommend if you're into the the sad boy club of good movies. Fuck yeah! If um, you're in the uh, Andrew Sad Boy Society, it's this is a movie for you. It's good. Or, or if you're a, just an ardent socialist. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, it was written. There's a strong overlap in those Venn diagram circles. If you guys read any Upton Sinclair, I had to read it in school because he was one of the. I mean, our teachers didn't know this, but he was one of the great American uh, authors around the twenties. Oh. Um, but he was. A I've only read the first few Paul Jennings books. But he, he was. <laughs> <laughs> Upton Sinclair was like a massive socialist in the uh, 1920s during the rise of like monopoly capitalism in the United States. Fuck! I studied modern American fiction and never came across this kind. Well, they were most of his. Yeah, his books were. You're fiction. gonna have to be pointing at me while you're saying. That. <laughs> his, his books are fiction, but not fiction. I read the. I, I did my best to avoid this <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> I read the jung the jungle, the jungle yeah. which was which is about um, the butchery and meat packaging industry. It's like it's a, it's a novel, but it's really about what's actually happening in the meat packing industry. All right, around we've, all, we've all read novels about meat packaging. Anyway, it's about it's about inhumane working conditions under capitalism and the workers not owning the product of their labor. Okay, what's, what's that like? <laughs> all right. Uh, next week we're going to ap- analyze Das Kapital. <laughs> yeah. um, so should we talk about the? Ending? You're joking. Yeah, but, no, uh, I'm serious. <laughs> let's, yeah, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's talk. Gonna... Oscar, we're we're going to teach you about Mark's critique of Hegel. Yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> so like, this is a movie where I yeah, definitely get that Ayn Rand shit off my table. The movie finished, and I enjoyed the movie, and I was like, I feel like I didn't get it. So the movie ends with Eli Sunday. The preacher from the town coming to Daniel Plainview's mansion. Ten years in the future. Ten years in the future. Daniel Plainview is drunk on the floor of his bowling alley in his house. <laughs> in like the 19 fucking 30s or 1920s. Yeah. A time when... Radio has started that was, because yeah. Eli wants to start a Christian radio station. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Woo! Don't um, we all... Imagine wanting to start your own radio station. How pathetic would you have to be to want to do that? Mm, interesting. <laughs> Josh, just talking to the microphone a bit more while you're on. <laughs> so, Eli shows up. Daniel's on the floor. He says, hello, old friend. Not exactly in those words. They have a little exchange. <laughs> Eli's trying to be all buddy-buddy with Daniel. Daniel. I, th- I feel like he's still trying to take that redemptive kind of figure and like offering him salvation. Yeah, he's trying. He's he's using his training as a pastor, yeah. basically. And he's like, let me get you a drink. Let me help you out. Let's have a chat. By the way, can I have some money? I went. I lost. I took money from the congregation to to start up a uh, like a new church or whatever, and it didn't work out. Mm. We're friends. Can I have some money? And Daniel Plainview basically is like, I will give you money if you renounce God. <laughs> yeah. And then you get this beautiful speech by Eli Sunday where he shouts, "I'm a false prophet. God is a superstition." And it starts out where he's like a little bit coy about it, and then it amps up to the fact where it becomes very obvious that Eli Sunday is a false prophet and that God is a superstition and he never well, believed in God. And it's basically Daniel Lillard's been like, you're not fucking better than me. Yeah, exactly. You've been playing this and, pious and attitude this whole fucking time. It's an time. almost exact mirror of Daniel Plainview's baptism scene where he's forced to, to shout, I've abandoned my son. Yes. Yeah, and, and he's like, and you're not... similarly coy and then Eli... You need money. You have God on your side and you need money from me. I might as well be your God. Exactly. God on yeah. your side. Do you want to talk about a Bob Dylan... No, it's... it's <laughs> <laughs> Ash. Shut 
As as this goes this goes on for a little bit and we and we're like okay so Eli Sunday is uh, not the good guy of this movie, no. and then Daniel Plainview has a very famous monologue where he clean he clears things up and explains to Eli point blank, you had money you let me take it, it's my money now fuck you, <laughs> basically yeah. and he has the fa- the famous line. Uh, well, so Eli Sunday says, "Well, we st- Daniel Sun- Daniel's like, why? Where are you going to get the money for that?" And he goes, "Oh, we still got the oil back on the fucking farm." Back on the farm. And Daniel goes, "Oh, you mean the oil I fucking took?" You mean the oil I took? And he has the very famous, the very famous line. Should we all do our Daniel Plainview impressions yeah, let's now? Do Is this it. the time? All right, I'll start. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know the monologue, so here we go. <laughs> you have a milkshake, and I have a milkshake, <laughs> and I have a straw. Here it is. And my straw reaches across the room. And I drank your milkshake. I drank it up. <laughs> and he does that. It's, it's, yeah, that's pretty good. That's pre- yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Okay, your turn, Oscar. <laughs> Just say, I drank your milkshake. Everyone wants to hear it. I, uh... <laughs> one, one, one milkshake, please. <laughs> Sunday? Wait, Sunday? Milkshake? All right. Anyway. If we're all done, <laughs> yeah, I can't, do, I, I can't do an impression. You don't have to do an impression. It's, it's like say the line, Bart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just, <laughs> it's the most famous. <laughs> I, uh, I, I drink your milkshake. Oh no, it's Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, say say Daniel Plainview's famous line: "Drainage, drainage, Eli, you boy. <laughs> drainage, Eli. Drainage, Eli. Drainage." Hurry up and tell us what it means so we can finish. So he that's that's him. He's saying, You had the oil, you had the money, you gave it to me. You don't have anything. You don't even In this have case, your God the milkshake now. is the oil. The milkshake right? is the oil. Okay, great. And, and his, that's why you drink it. And his last name is Sunday, another ice cream dessert. Right. So and then right. it all makes sense. It's <laughs> it's about sweetie treaties. And so what's the chocolate syrup? Is that uh, that's calm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, yeah, I remember listening to Adam Knox. So I think Luca Moller has a bit where he's talking about it's this entire monologue, but it's a glass of calm instead of a glass of milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no other difference. <laughs> Good shit. That doesn't sound like either Knox or Moller. Well, <laughs> Welcome yeah. to my parents who have chosen to join us on the podcast <laughs> at this time. Uh, I drink it up. <laughs> um, that, was, then, that was my yes. impression of your dad. Then um, <laughs> Daniel, Daniel blamed you. <laughs> Daniel Plainview uh, beats Eli to death with a bowling pin. All right. Um, and then... And you're like, oh, I think there's something a bit fishy about this guy. I don't think his motivations are exactly Maybe clear. capitalism's not the good guy in this <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Is that the blood? Hey! <laughs> oh, we did it! They told us, and I still Welcome didn't to see it coming. There will be bowling. That's my favorite. This is, this Fuck! Is, there will be bowling. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's this, good uh, shit. This movie is the only movie which uh, the title is a promise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so he beats he beats him to death with a bowling pin, and then uh, Daniel Plainview's butler but, but, comes in, and Daniel Plainview goes, I'm finished. <laughs> And that's it. That's the end of the movie. Roll credits. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess yeah, that that final scene is meant to be like the 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 complete construction and reinforcement of like religion's attempt to move into the sphere of capitalism. Yes. The 
very transparent message that that is never going to be possible Mm -hmm. uh, and that they're both vying for the same thing but that the second one of them falters and tries to be the other, Mm. they're kind of bound to fail. Well, like it's never going to be better than what capitalism is already doing. It's like religion has this holier-than-thou kind of... Well, they're, they're both mechanisms to control people. Yeah, right. Uh, yes. A- a- and that if, if one of them tries to use the techniques of the other, it's instantly determined to, or, or bound, bound to fail. Um, mm. And I guess, yeah. like, thrown in the mix is also that... Um, well, no, because I, I guess in this, particular, uh, in this particular situation, Eli tried to take money and thus tried to engage in, like, a capitalist process of exploitation. And that was what led to the downfall, mm. rather than just sticking to his guns of being <laughs> and being And being emotionally em- exploited. <laughs> <laughs> right, yes, you yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I think it's, it sounds like we're pretty close to wrapping up this episode. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about on uh, our episode about There Will Be Blood? What did you guys think about the brother bit? The twins arc? thing? Yeah. So Paul Dano plays no, no, two no, no, twins. No, no, oh. no, 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 no. Daniel Plainview's brother. So someone, yeah, Daniel, Daniel Plainview. Daniel Plainview, Daniel Lewis. So two hours into the movie, encounters this stranger who says, Shows I'm up your long-lost brother, surprise. And they work together for a bit. And because we're in the spoiler section of the podcast, I feel like this is enough delay for me to say that he says, like, I'm not really... A lot later on, he says, like, I wasn't really a brother. Your brother died, and I just, like, pretended I was him and took on his personality. Yeah. In order to... I don't know. I think I think there's a lot of parts of this film that added a lot of colour and a lot of sort of depth to the world of the movie that made it a lot more intriguing. And I thought that was part of it. In, just any, like, in any other movie, that would have been the main plot point. Yeah, right. right. Just like how Paul Dano plays two people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that was an inherent, intriguing part of the film. So Paul Dano plays a brother who comes to Daniel Plainview to say there's oil in my town. And then he plays the identical twin... Yeah, and then he plays the identical twin brother, Eli, who is the preacher in that town. And so I think that's an inherent amount of depth that gives an intriguing nature to the story that doesn't necessarily need to mean anything. I right. think that it's just an... In- I don't know. I think it's an, in- it's an interesting level of depth that you didn't need to add, but that level of complication makes the world feel more real. I feel like nothing in this movie didn't mean anything. But but I sort of struggled to to lock on to what that meant. Not like, to be nihilist about it. I literally just think it's like, if I was writing a story where I wanted a lot of shit to be happening, I think I would want to create stuff happening. You would want the shit that's happening to be interesting. Yeah, and I think it's just interesting. Like, yeah. there, being a, there being a twin brother is interesting. That's, I think that there yeah. being a brother who just turns out to not be his brother with a secret diary that turns out to be not largely related to the story the movie's focusing on is inherently interesting. There's something mm. fucking crazy going on in the background we're not even focusing on. Brings more attention to the story we've got we've got going on. Well, it's one of the first times, uh, like I'm, I don't I don't buy that because I think it's one of the first times, maybe the only time he actively murders someone. No, the so it's it's the first time he actively kills someone to arguably no gain. So it's like w- he could have just left him there. He's he's sunk money into him, and it's kind of like it's it's the first instance where he it's revenge instead of exploitation. I think there could have been anyone. The fact that they've set up the fact that it's this brother that's not really his brother, that's this guy that like was there when his brother died, that took on his brother's identity to further himself. Like that's well, like he, several he levels. He exploited of com- his familial, like the 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 false brother exploited his familial sense of like obligation or partnership or like mm. belonging or whatever. But it's strange to me, and the thing that I don't really get about it is that if if. If Daniel Plainview is such a fucking cold psychopath who's always looking out for his ability to kind of suck the 
suck the blood or like yeah draw the capital out of any particular resource or human why would he care that someone was his brother unless because like he instantly like goes into partnership with him and works I think yeah he's just, he's, just lost, he's just lost his son and so he still gets that same family business lens that he can project his exactly but then through. they go for a swim he tells him his secrets he tells him what drives him and that's i think oh yeah because that's the scene where he kind of like reveals he's like i have the sense of competition i have this competition in me um, i don't want anyone else to win yeah. yes and he talks about like the house he saw when he was a child, and he's like, "I want, I want that house, mm. and yeah. no one will us will get that house because I want that house." And then, yeah, the his fake brother is exploiting the same sort of, yeah, familial familiarity and entitlement to the profits that sort of, in a weird way, the same way that Daniel Plainview is exploiting H. W. Mm. Yeah. I think that uh, it. I yeah, I just wondered why, because like, surely they could have both just lied about it and sort of said, "Well, yeah, okay, I'm not your brother, but also like, hasn't this still been profitable?" I think yeah. that making the story more complex than it needs to be is inherently interesting. Maybe this is pointing out that if HW was still around, that this would have been the fate that HW would have ended up with. In yeah, that, in that's that, a good point. That's interesting. In that, um, he, it's like a martyr for HW. But yeah, because he's saying. I want no one else to win. And this man is like, well, we're family. And then he's not family, which HW isn't also. And he kills him. And mm. HW pr- maybe would have met the same fate. I just want to point out that Daniel Plainview kills three people in this movie. One by accident. First one by accident. Um, it's a man the, crushed by the... The man crushed the father. Is he directly responsible for that death? Kills his half-brother, the son. And he kills the man who deals with spirits. The Holy the Ghost! ghost. Interesting. Daniel Plainview kills God. Kills all three gods. Wow, that's pretty good. No, I just came up with that then. I don't know. You would hate that shit. You hate <laughs> that shit. When people do that to Bob Dylan, you hate that shit. But I just oh, did it. We had a half an hour <laughs> argument off air about Bob Dylan that ended in me almost wringing my own neck. Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't quite go for long enough. But yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's about all the time we have left on this week's episode of Beef Station. Thank you so much for joining us this week, Josh, and sharing, sharing with us your favorite movie, There Will Be Blood. Mm. If you'd like to join in the discussion, we've got a Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash beefstationpod. We've got an email address if you want to get in contact with the show and suggest your favorite movie or any other any other questions or points of discussion you want to bring up. That's uh, beefstationpod at gmail.com. Thanks once again for joining us for another week. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. Can I plug something real quick? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, go for it. Um, I, I host a show at Potbelly every month, competitive erotic fan fiction. That's a pub in Canberra? That's a pub in Belconnen. Yep. Um, it's, a, it's a show where comedians get assigned a random topic from an audience member and they have to write an erotic fan fiction based on that prompt. They have about 20 minutes to write that story. Do you know when and the next show is? Um, the next show, uh, we're not doing July, it will be in August. Okay, great. Um, second, second Thursday in August. Um, I've got a Facebook page. Where you can find that is it the second Thursday of every month? You second Thursday of every month. Yeah, cool. We can um, link it in the description. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and my new podcast, uh, Tim and Josh's Restaurant Fright Scares. <laughs> okay, great. Fuck yeah. Um, It'll Josh, be, on, be on iTunes soon. Keep an keep an eye out. If you don't know, Josh is a local Canberra stand-up comedian. Tim Noon is his co-host on this new podcast, which mm-hmm. is a Gordon Ramsay. Kitchen Nightmares. <laughs> Kitchen Nightmares podcast. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in... L- literary uh, analysis podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's much like this, 
but about a TV show that <laughs> is trash. <laughs> right? Um, very much get more amongst Canberra comedy shows. This uh, competitive erotic stand-up show in August at the Belconnen Potbelly Bar in Canberra. Looks to be great. Head along to that. It's we'll a try fan. And it's, always, it's always a winner, that show. I'll try and remember to send a link into the episode <laughs> description this week. Yep. Well, yeah, it'll be there. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on our email. Email us if you You're have any questions or Facebook.com slash beef system pod. <laughs> I'm not going to give it another go. Uh, uh, yeah, email us if you have any questions or any clarifications or any favourite movies you want to share with us. Or if you've got a Daniel Plainview impression. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, please. We want to hear it. Yeah. No, the yeah, audio. That's good shit. Yes. Video yourself on your phone. If anyone wants to give us a Daniel Day-Lewis impression... From any of his films, give us a bit of. Please, no, please know my left foot. I drink your milkshake. I I guarantee you, we will play it as the cold open for next week's episode. Yeah. If you send that's us the promise. audio, that's a promise. Thank you for joining us for another week. I'm Oscar. Andrew. Straps. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Josh, for joining us. See you later. <laughs>